what we're going to do to start this off is we're going to look at a small clip of Phil Robertson. How many of you are familiar with Duck Dynasty, the show? Okay. Um, if you have cable or if you have internet access, you can find a lot of it on YouTube. It's, it's, I'm actually looking forward to watching the show. I've seen a couple of full episodes. There's not anything that I really watch regular on TV because most of it, um, when you, when you watch it, uh, you usually hear a sound. I don't know if you guys have noticed that in your head. Maybe it's just my house. You turn on the TV and you hear a sound and what it is, it's your brains dripping out because most of what you see on TV just makes you dumb. All right. That's just, it's just, Brings down the level morally and intellectually, honestly. Have y'all noticed that? You're like, really? This is the best you can do? Gutter humor? Wow. Somebody, you know, somebody has a degree. So, um, but this is, yeah, jokes. Um, this is Phil Robertson, the dad. Um, and he's speaking at a wild game banquet. And he does not look like your average preacher. The whole family, they, they love the Lord. and They're believers. They have a lot of faith that gets integrated into the show. One of the advertisements. I feel like I'm giving an advertisement for Duck Dynasty on A&E right now. But I promise I don't receive royalties. And they said there is a noticeable absence of vulgarity and profanity. So here is Phil Robertson off the screen doing what we're talking about. A lot of different dynamics. See if you can pick up, and we're going to discuss, see if you can pick up different elements that he uses for apologetics, ways to break down walls and connect with people while still giving the gospel. So here we go. You don't have a chance without Jesus of Galilee, unless you know something I don't. See, we all sin. We sin, we die. Number two, we go, they used to bear six feet deep, now it's four and a half feet. Save money, you know. You say, I'm going into a hole in the ground. How are you going to escape that grave if there is no God and Jesus wasn't who he said he was? You tell me. Well, I'll take my chance without the Bible. You will? You don't have a chance without the Bible and divine intervention. Right? i got to go with him. Some cat called me up, ordered a duck call, and in the process of ordering the duck call, he used God's name in vain about five times. About that fifth time, GD, this and that and that. I said, hey, let me ask you something. Why do you keep cursing the only one who could save you from death? There was silence on the phone. I said, you still there? He said, hey, Hoss, you got my duck call order coming? You got my duck call coming? I said, I got your duck call coming. And he goes, oh, he hangs up. I just asked him a simple question. Why are you cursing the only one I know of who can save you from death? So he hangs up the phone. Ten minutes goes by, the phone rings again. Hello, Dr. Commander. He says, it's me again. I said, the question's still on the table. Why do you keep cursing the only one who can save you from death? Why him? He says, Mr. Robertson, I've never thought about that. I said, you never thought about your physical death? I said, you got physical death coming and you're cursing the creator of the cosmos. I said, let's see, you're over in uh, Alabama. I said, you know what you ought to do? He said, what's that? I said, you ought to load up and drive over here. It's about a 10-hour drive. You can do it. I'll tell you a story about the one you're cursing. You may change your mind about him. He said, I might do it. I said, well, you sure ought to. Mom. 
One week goes by, knock on the door. This cat steps in. He said, you know who I am? I said, I don't believe I do. He said, I was the fellow cursing God. I said, so you did come. He said, I got to know. I told him what I'm fixed to tell y'all. You know what he did? He and his buddy both. They bawled. They cried on my living room floor. I took them down the river and I baptized them in the river like they did in the book of Acts. They went on their way rejoicing, as they say. I never saw them again for 17 years. I spoke in a church over at Alabama and some guy comes up and says, Robertson, you remember the fellow who was cursing God on the telephone? I said, I remember him. I said, I forgot him. But now that you bring him up, I remember him. He said, he's down there waiting on you. He's one of the leaders of this church now. See how it works, Oklahoma? Just one phone call. Somebody's cursing God. He just didn't know. What year is it this year? 2009. For a fact, last year was 2009. And the year before was 2008. And the year before was 2007. Let's walk it back, Oklahoma. You're going to get to 1,000 and you'll get to down to 199, 98, 97. Walk it back and you're going to get to year one. Evidently, if we're all here agreeing atheist or not that it's 2,010 years from something <laughs> and evidently something rather large must have gone down 2,010 years ago or we wouldn't all be saying it's 2,010 years since it happened right that's when God became flesh Jesus he said, we're all counting time by Jesus. These atheists, they write on their checkbook. Oh, you know, October the 1st, 2010 years since Jesus got here. That's what, 2010 A.D. Anno Domini, year of our Lord. We're all counting time by him. I wonder why America acts the way it does if they really believe they're counting time by him. Well, if they're counting time by him, Oklahoma, he must have been here. Right? Well, I thought the Bible was a myth and a fairy tale. Well, what are we doing counting every year that goes by by Jesus of Nazareth? I'll tell you why we're counting time by Him. Because He came down in flesh, God did, and died on a cross to remove every rotten, filthy thing you've ever done. On top of that, three days later, He guaranteed all of us that dead men can come from the ground. It's the only shot we have. Unless you know something I don't. How are you going to get out of the ground? By the way, what good would it do to remove your sin if God couldn't get you out of the ground? Your grandmother, your grandfather. Duck Commander style apologetics. <laughs> Did you notice some of the things that he integrated in his message. He, he began with, if there is no God. Now that's a, that's a possibility, right? He didn't come right out of the gate and say, there is. 
this is the case. He said, if there is no God, then here's what you have. You have what? What's that? Yeah, no, no hope. No hope at all. That's, that's what you have. And by the way, I love this style of speaking. One of the things that I try to do if I'm ever gone uh, to preach a revival or a mission trip, I try to get guys who make me look uh, calm to fill in. When Matt um, came to preach, there's people like, wow, he was on, on fire. So uh, what are some of the other things that stood out to you? What are some of the nuggets that he used of truth here? Other than the automatic command respecting almighty beard. I mean, that is a beard of biblical proportions. Yeah, 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 the, the, the dates. You see, that's something that people don't usually notice. You, you, just, you just say it. Now, when we studied something last time we were together, which is three weeks ago, it's a long time, and it was the minimal facts argument, right? It's that we know even liberal secular historians believe that Jesus of Nazareth was a historical figure, that he was executed by the Romans for claiming that he was God. The Jews set him up. And then there was an empty tomb. That's the minimal facts argument. He says it's 2,010 years at that point since it happened. Interesting. People can connect with that. What else? Other than the command respecting camouflage. We have a lot of opportunity to do what he did. People are always using that same thing. That is an open door witnessing to Bingo. Bingo. We feel really guilty for not, like, I guess, I mean, I don't need to, like, I don't know. It sounds weird saying, like, defending God, but, like, standing up for him. Uh And, you know, when you hear that, having enough respect and fear of God to say, hey, why are you talking like that about the one who created you in the mm-hmm. first place? Because, mm-hmm. I mean, I guess I just hear it so much that I just kind of... Just yeah, I mean, if somebody were to say that about, saying my spouse or one of our really mm. close friends, we mm. would become extremely Good point. defensive. To I've, point I've never thought about that before. Something immediately to defend mm. my spouse. I mean, this is... When you put it in a perspective of that, I mean, God is greater than my spouse's. My relationship should be closer to him than it should be with her. Mm-hmm. And yeah, yeah, I'm guilty too of hearing that phrase constantly and just dismissing it because mm-hmm. it's part of normal everyday speech anymore. Mm-hmm. Great point. Well, actually, he, did, he didn't make it like it was so much like it was an offense to him as as we're putting the question to him, think about what you're doing. Uh-huh. You're, you're cursing the one that can save you or the one that created you, you know. Mm-hmm. And, then, and he didn't rely upon, um, it's dependent upon me to convince this guy. Mm-hmm. He, he made a question, and then he let the guy come back to him. And I love and his he left the guy bong. He said, you know, you hear the story, uh-huh. you come here. Yep, but, yep. So... He let the Holy Spirit do it instead of trying to really, mm-hmm. you know, we have a part that we're, we need to be real dependent upon. Amen. It has to be the Holy Spirit. Amen. Anyway. Aren't y'all glad that we don't save people? I don't know about you, that takes a huge level of stress. My job is to love the person, to share the truth, 
And it's the Holy Spirit is the one who does the conversion. We obviously give them an opportunity to say, do you want to get saved today? And, and, and so forth. Can I say something? Yeah. Just to follow that up, is that, I, you know, I've been, been part of... Um, uh, witnessing teams before where there were people that, that felt like they had to close the deal. They had to bring it to bring them to a set to say a prayer, you know. And um, you know, I've come to feel that, that, that that's really a wrong thing to do unless the Lord is leading that way, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, because you can get somebody to say a prayer just to get you out of their house. Mm-hmm. You've just done them the greatest service that they are truly saved. They might think they are. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we as a church want to not be guilty of being uh, number hungry to say we had this many check in the box. We we don't want to, as Paul Washer says, popishly declare them to be saved. It's the Holy Spirit who saves. He's the one who gives the confirmation, Romans 8, you know, that the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God bears witness with your spirit that you're a, a child of God. But when he when he was raising using this issue of God's name in vain, Ray Comfort has, depending on your personality, if you're just a very abrupt personality and you're a guy talking to a guy, like it may not be the best thing for if you're you know a man overhears a woman she says GD to just kind of do what Phil did in that demeanor and that strong voice. Why are you cursing the only one who can save you? And then she feels intimidated. Because she feels that a man just yelled at her. Ray Comfort says, when people use God's name in vain around you, he says, ask them this. Are you a religious person? Are you religious? Blankety blank or whatever. No, I'm not. Or if they use H-E-W hockey sticks a lot. And he said, well, you know, you're, you're, you're talking about, about God. And, and you can use that as an inroad um, as well. But I just wanted to, to show that um, I love that show. And so if you're going to watch anything on TV, watch him and his brother Cy. I will not. If you haven't seen it, you've not seen good TV since Andy Griffith. And I believe that, that show will be around forever because we have all known people on Andy Griffith. Can I get an amen? We've all known the Barney who's not good at anything but so insecure he's got to be involved with everything. And so, But I won't preach about that. Let's go through... Uh, Okay, okay, to complete complete that. Yeah, it's A&E, right? A&E, yeah. And, uh, Actually, I think Sean at the end of the interview, one of the daughters or something, that's Okay, okay. Well, I know they were on Conan teaching him how to blow a duck call, and, and Phil was ragging on Conan, which that was, that was, that was funny. Um, let's go through the biblical words for truth, and we're going to try to march through this with the 25 minutes that we have left, so you can already see that that's going to be pretty much like Napoleon's campaign against the Russians. It's not going to happen, but uh, the Greek word for truth is aletheia, and this definition is from Kenneth Wiest. He's a New Testament scholar. He says, the Greek idea of truth is therefore that which is unconcealed, unhidden, that which will bear scrutiny and investigation, that which is open to the light of day. <clears throat> um, one of you scholars tell me when we see alpha or English tran- transliteration A on the beginning of a word in Greek, what does that A signify, that alpha? 
Yeah, it's it's not. It's a negation. So the word lanthano in the Greek means to conceal something, to disclose something. So literally, when the Greeks would hear aletheia, they would hear truth. They would think of something that had previously been hidden that has now been brought to light. And I think that's so cool when you think about John fourteen six. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Ever since the beginning of time, Satan and people who had God's revelation knew that God would send a Savior into the world, but they didn't know exactly how it would be pulled off. When Jesus came, as Phil Robertson said, God in the flesh, Jesus unveiled that which previously was hidden. It's awesome. We could do a word study on that for a long time. But that's that's the Greek concept in the New Testament. The Hebrew, uh, the word would be emet, which is, um, we're going to look at, it's defined here, and this is from the New Bible Dictionary. It is significant that of the Hebrew words translated truth, emet, which is the one we're going to look at, the central one, uh, the latter is sometimes rendered as faithfulness. The Old Testament thinks much more of the basis of truth in a reliable person than of the mere facts of the case. So the Hebrew concept was much more rooted in a person, like with um, the concept of truth in the Hebrew mind would be something that is stable, something that is unmoving. And if you were a Hebrew, what might come to mind for something that is stable, unmoving, and movable? Ultimately, it would trace back to God, right? So God is truth because truth does not go away based upon personal opinion or cultural preference. That's very, very important, especially when you think of God revealing himself in the Old Testament as the one true God in opposition to all of the false gods of Canaan, all of the false gods of Egypt, and and so forth and so on. Um, The Bible does rely upon the reality of truth. There are some people that would tell us that we need to recreate Christianity today to connect with the younger generation by saying that truth is not absolute. Truth is not objective. Truth is based upon your experience. So what may be true for you, you know, God may, uh, let's say, go old school with somebody and they repent in dust and ashes. They repent of their sin. They come to faith in Jesus Christ. But you can come to God by just, you know, asking him to help you to be a better person. In other words, there's not an actual truth of Christianity. But according to Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, 14 through 19, he makes the case that if, if the dead are not raised, then who is not raised? Christ. And if Christ is not raised, we're still in our what? Still in our sins. And the apostle Paul says that if that's the case, he says it's not your best life now, okay? Like, you know, Joel Osteen's title of his book, and that's not a cut against his character. But here's the thing. If Jesus has not been raised, then the Apostle Paul says, this is divinely inspired scripture, that you guys are the biggest losers the planet has ever or will ever seen. And I stink at life so much because of my faith in a dead Savior that I think is alive, that the whole world should stop turning and simply pity us and go, oh... It has to be true. It has to be real. So anybody that would try to recreate Christianity to make it a subjective, uh, touchy-feely, internal um, type of emotional religion is stripping Christianity of its factual basis. Because if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, if that historical event did not happen, then it's all, it's all false. We all track in with that same point. 
That, that, that is something that we cannot give up on. If the resurrection didn't happen, then it's a joke. <clears throat> um, this is a statement about biblical worldview concerning truth from George Barna. George Barna reported that only 9% of born-again Christians possess a biblical worldview. What is a biblical worldview? It, it was defined as believing that absolute moral truths exist, that such truth is defined by the Bible, and firm belief in six uh, religious views. Those views were that Jesus Christ lived a sinless life. God is the all-powerful and all-knowing creator of the universe, and he still rules it today. Salvation is a gift from God and cannot be earned. Satan is real, and uh-oh. A Christian has a responsibility to share their faith in Christ with other people, and the Bible is accurate in all of its teachings. Only 9%, and this was in December of 2003, only 9% of professing, not liberal mainline churches, but of people who say, I'm born again, would say that these are true. And my life is defined by those truths, and these truths determine what I do. Just let that sink in. And that being the core of Christianity. Yeah. What Paul tells us in that mm-hmm. passage in First Corinthians right. is the core. Uh, right. He abandoned that and, and it killed your faith. Mm. I think that's a great insight, Ben. And, and we, we, we could break this down all night. But one of the things that I think is a disconnect with an evangelical Christianity, if you look at any statistics across the board, the number of people who say, I'm a born-again follower of Jesus Christ, but how many of those have actually told someone about that? Bill Bright had a statistic with Campus Crusade for Christ for many years, and the statistic held firm, and it hasn't been done since he passed away a few years ago, but 2% of professing evangelical Christians have shared their faith. Let that sink in. 2%. 2%. 2%. And what causes problems in most evangelical churches? Style of worship, dress, the way the chairs are arranged, so forth and so on. So this this is is an in, indictment against our tribe. Not the Catholics, not so-and-so, not this group, not this group, but against evangelicals. Let's let, let that sink in, and we're going to look at truth um, as manifested in our culture today. False standards of truth, postmodernism or relativism. These are a little bit different, but we're going to kind of uh, put them together just for the sake of time tonight. It's the theory that there is no objective standard by which truth may be determined. Consequently, truth varies with individuals and circumstances. It's your truth. It's my truth. 
It's our truth, which means you really can't say anything is wrong. Did you realize that not saying things are wrong in today's culture is a virtue? If you're that guy, if you're that girl who says, you know what, everybody's talking about this specific issue, it is wrong to take a life. Let's put it in a close perspective, abortion. Abortion is murder. It's wrong. Goodbye to winning a popularity contest. One indication of this, no matter what your political party is, is that for the first time that I know of, the Republican presidential ticket ran 2012. We make exceptions for abortion. Whether you're a Republican or whether you're a Democrat, that is a sign of the cultural shift that we have been experiencing, whether we realize it or not, that the major conservative, quote-unquote, party in the U.S. now says we don't have a problem with what the British have said, and this was in our notes when we went through that, that there is no medical reason today with our technology of why you would have to take the child's life in order to save the life of the mother. But for political correctness, absolute cave. So, we live in a postmodern culture. Even in the South, you say, Jeff, what about the Bible Belt? I think the Bible Belt exists for people that on the average are 50 and up because that generation, y'all tell me, how did school start off in the mornings, public school? Prayer? Prayer? Okay. Okay. All right. The younger you get down, the more that that has been eradicated from public education, often even churches. So it's, it's an increasingly a postmodern culture. But here's here's a few examples that I think will be interesting to discuss. False standards of truth. Mom and daddy said it, therefore it's true. <laughs> yeah. My, my, my parents, this was, this, this, I think when I go home it is still the rule. If mom says it, it is, it is truth. And to disagree is to bring wrath upon oneself. Uh, culture. And I want you to tell me what you think. What does this statement quote, I wasn't raised that way? say to a lost person about why you don't do what they do. It Bingo. It confirms this. If you say this, you're saying that there is no truth. Because if you are raised differently, then that's no problem. We Okay. Personal experience that this you, you even get this in churches. I feel I've experienced I've come to believe without any reference to the facts. So what that means is that, Fred, God has led me to tell you that He has called me to sing in the choir with the loudest microphone you have, and I can't sing. But my experience is that God has told me that I'm supposed to. 
people have subjective experiences and without ever referencing scripture, without ever seeking godly counsel, that now becomes truth. It is an experience based truth. And here's the thing. I've thought that I felt a lot of things in the past, but after you think about it, after you search God's word, after you pray about it, sometimes you say, what in the Harry Reed was I thinking? <laughs> when you just look back on that and you say, that was, that was crazy. And sometimes we can look back on mistakes that we've made. I probably shouldn't have said that. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'll repent once we're, once we're through. But it can be very, very deceptive to base it upon, upon feelings. Here's what Aristotle said, and we're quoting a pagan Greek here, but he says, piety requires us to honor truth above our friends. Let's add a Christian spin to that and say that if we're truly a friend to someone, we will try to help them to seek truth. We will not back off and say, that's cool for you. I understand we do our best to be Phil Robertson and whatever personality that God has given to us. If you have your Bibles, go with me to John chapter 18 in verse 33. We'll probably have to stop after we break this down tonight. This is Jesus with Pilate. The Bible says in John 18, 33, So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Stop. What did Jesus just do? Jesus did what Jesus did from day one of his ministry when people asked him questions that were, that were loaded questions. He often turned the question back around on them. Case in point. So you believe that God exists? What evidence do you have? Switch around the question. Say, well, what evidence do you have that God does not exist? How do you explain design in nature? How do you explain consciousness and go down the list? So let's get the text done. Text continues there in verse 35. Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting. Just put an asterisk right there and say this This levels the logic of the Crusades. You don't kill in the name of God. And he says that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not of this world. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king? Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the what? To the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And then Pilate said to him, what is truth? And if you read the next verses, Pilate didn't stick around to get the answer. This is a case to where there's a person who's asking questions, but who's not willing to stick around and wait for the Lord to provide the answers. Now, who does Jesus say listens to truth? Everyone who is of the truth. So let's look at some aspects of that. 
Jesus does give several statements that are objectively true or false, that he is king. You can't be king and not king at the same time. He was born for that purpose. He was to bear witness to the truth, and everyone who is of the truth hears his voice. So here's what um, I believe what we find in God's word. We find a lot of this even in ancient philosophy that how do you define truth? And if you're making notes, you might just want to say truth is what corresponds to reality. And here's the way that Aristotle put it. He says to say of what is that it is not or of what is not that it is is false. While to say of what is that it is and of what is not that it is not is true. So that, y'all, y'all tracking with this? Okay, good deal. We're going old school philosophy here. So that he who says anything that it is or that it is not will say either what is true or what is false. So what we're going to say is the correspondence theory of truth is truth corresponds to reality. Isn't that better? Okay. And by the way, if you can memorize this and you can throw it out in a conversation, you can just leave and they're not going to know what hit them. I mean, it's just going to be like, frag out, you know, and just throw it and just watch the bodies fly. But hopefully you have better things to do than to memorize, have that on your steering wheel and get that down. But that's, that is the classic definition of truth. In other words, to say um, that Jeff Robinson was born on September 28, 1980, and then to say Jeff Robinson, the same person, same social security number, was born on September 1st, 1972. Those, both of those statements cannot be true. One, if there is one that is true, then it has to be to the exclusion of the other. Um, <clears throat> here's what Doug Grutai says. He says, A belief or statement is true only if it matches with, reflects, or corresponds to the reality it refers to. For a statement to be true, it must be factual. Facts determine the truth or falsity of a belief or statement. It is the nature and meaning of truth to be fact-dependent. That's a good word, to be fact-dependent. In other words, for a statement to be true, there must be a truth-maker that determines its truth. A statement is never true simply because someone thinks it or utters it. Although, I was told by an elderly man last week that all wise men learn to say, yes ma'am. Okay, so that may be a little asterisk there next to that. But here's, here's the way Grutais ends this statement. He says, we may be entitled to our own opinions, but we are not entitled to our own facts. So when someone says, I believe such and such, you have to eventually get down to the facts. I mentioned in last week's message that I had a very enlightening, no pun intended, conversation with a Zen Buddhist. And we begin to talk about truth and the gospel. And a, a Buddhist will say that I, a good Buddhist, all right, just like a good Baptist brings something to the potluck and, you know, all that and reads the bulletin, they will say that if they're practicing what they believe to be the reality, they don't harbor ill will towards someone else. They don't harbor animosity towards someone else. So that's something for you to know that for a Buddhist, the way that you get rid of suffering in the world is you get rid of desire. In other words, you just kind of float easy. 
I asked him, I said, so, so what's your experience with Christianity? Well, my dad was a pastor. Interesting, Ben. His dad was a liberal pastor. Priest in a liberal denomination. And said that Christianity is good, but there's some other books that you'd probably be interested in reading. And he ends up a Zen Buddhist. But then I found out that he says, oh, one of the things I can't stand. Now, this is after saying, I don't hate anyone. I don't dislike anyone. I'm a Buddhist. I just cleanse myself of those desires. And I just love what we need in this world is more love and less hate. I'm like, amen for that. That's true, right? That is that is true. Affirm them. Say exactly right. Because what they're doing is they're hanging themselves. And he said, I said, well, what's, what's your experience been with the church? You know, since you, oh, I, I can't stand. One thing I can't stand is hypocritical Christians. I, and I, I promise I do this. I say, do you hate them? Huh? <laughs> I, <clears throat> I strongly dislike hypocritical Christians. And I said, well, are we playing semantics now? I said, isn't strongly dislike pretty close to hate? And so forth. And then at that point, I was using my hands to talk a little bit and I actually hit him on the hand. I said, oh, I'm sorry. And then he said, oh, it's fine. I receive touch. (laughs) There is healing in touch. And I just thought of the Marvin Gaye song that I'm not even going to repeat the title. Some of you may may know that. And I just want to tell him, brother, I'm not a healer. Jesus heals, you know, through through his touch. But I was able to talk to him about there is something such as reality because he kept on going back to the point of saying, well, but for me, that's not true. But I said, we, we can't we can't make up our own reality just because we don't like the way something is to just say, well, that's not true for me. If I, for example, if I go to cookout and I get an extra hamburger, y'all like cookout? It's been a great addition to the county, although our health care costs are going to you know, go through the roof and so forth. But uh, imagine I go there and I get an extra hamburger, but I forget about it. I eat the one and I come back to this hamburger. I smell something three weeks later. And it's this hamburger that's been lost in the millions of books in my library over at the house. And I say, you know what? I don't want to have a study break in order to have to go into town to get something to eat. I would like, in my reality, for this hamburger not to be a rotten piece of food that's going to cause me to get sick. So for me, this is a fresh hamburger. You see, nobody does that, do they? People don't do that. You can't change reality by trying to conform it to your tastes, you see. We are dependent upon reality, whatever that is. But we don't conform reality to us. Just because a person says, that's not true for me, it doesn't change the fact. And if you're in a conversation with a person, one of the best things that I've known to do, and I even did this in the college speech class, I gave a speech on death. And Jesus' answer to that. And there was a, a girl who stood up in class and she said, well, I don't believe any of that. You know, this is a Q&A time and everybody's respectful for the most part. I don't believe that. I think the Bible's full of sexism, uh, of racism, of this and that. And it's not true. It's been used for oppression and so forth. So I don't believe any of that. And I've been listening to Ray Comfort. And, and, and I just said what I remembered him saying. 
And I said, well, if I go out in the middle of, of um, the interstate and I say, I don't believe in Mack trucks and I stand out in the middle, is that going to change the reality of Mack trucks coming? And the whole class was like, ooh, <laughs> even though they hadn't you know, known whether that was true or not. This was in a secular community college. But that may be something to use and just get creative with something that may be in your life and you say it wouldn't make any sense for me to say this doesn't exist or this is not reality. I can't simply change that by the power of my mind unless you're a Jedi. But um, we're going to have to stop there. Um, I'm going to be in Lynchburg next week for a PhD seminar all week on miracles. How can you say that miracles are possible? Is that a violation of the laws of nature or is it a temporary suspension in order to do uh, something from God or higher power? So anyway, but Ben's going to teach for me next week on some uh, historic arguments that people try to take down Christianity with and ways to respond. But thank you guys for listening and we'll pick this up the week after.